Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something strange is going on. Who is killing Russian billionaires? Another Russian oligarch has been found dead. Reports suggest that he hanged himself, fell out of a window, slashed his wrists, was poisoned, murdered his whole family. Last year, more than a dozen Russian oligarchs died in the space of nine months. Many of the deaths are suspicious with links to the Kremlin. This is Sad Oligarch. An investigation into these recently dead Russian billionaires. It's created by me, Jake Hanrahan, and my colleague, Sergei Slipchenko. Sad Oligarch is a H11 production for Kuzo Media and iHeartRadio. This case concerns someone a bit different. He died in Washington. He was anti-Putin. He had connections to both US political parties, and he's actually not even Russian. He is, however, dead, and the circumstances around his death are really strange. On August 14, 2022, Latvian-born Dan Rappaport, 52, was in his luxury apartment in Washington, D.C. He lived in the city's West End an upmarket area with the finest restaurants, hotels and condos. Naturally, Rappaport was rich. He'd made his money in a number of different ways, including financial investment, in which he oversaw large international projects concerning US-Russian oil cooperation. That evening, police in DC got an alert on their patrol car radio. 
There's been a jumper in the West End. As they pulled up to the scene, a man was found lying in a heap on the floor. He'd fallen out of the window of his fancy apartment, plummeting nine stories onto the pavement. It was Dan Rappaport, or what was left of him. He'd fallen around 90 feet to the concrete. That's a serious fall. Around 99% of people who fall that distance don't survive. Dan Rappaport was no exception. He was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. In his pockets was $2,610 in cash, a broken phone and a lanyard with a key attached. An autopsy report released in November 2022 stated that Rappaport died from multiple blunt force trauma injuries as a result of the fall. However, his cause of death was ruled as undetermined. His wife said he showed no signs of depression and doesn't believe it was a suicide. They'd made plans for the following day and Rappaport had several business meetings scheduled. Police closed the case, but they said they're open to further investigation if any tips come in or further evidence appears. So who was Dan Rappaport and why would he have any connection to the dead Russians mentioned throughout this series? Let's start with the Soho Rooms, Rappaport's nightclub. The Soho Rooms was a high-end nightclub in Moscow. It was opened by Rappaport in 2007. Within a few years of its launch, the club became somewhat of a mecca for Russia's rich cosmopolitan party scene. Situated in a trendy building that's a mix of art deco and Soviet brutalism, the Soho Rooms was the place to be if you wanted to flaunt your money and indulge in expensive taste. Reserving a single table cost 100,000 rubles, which is over a thousand US dollars. That's the average monthly wage for your everyday Muscovite. International musicians performed regularly at the Soho Rooms, including Johnny Depp and his awful band Hollywood Vampires. It became the go-to club for it girls, politicians and businessmen. If you like fine dining, strong drugs and expensive liquor, the Soho Rooms was the place to be. It became synonymous with Russia's party elite. It was very well known. If you weren't there on Friday or Saturday night, you didn't matter. Rappaport himself was by no means a silent partner in all of this. He loved the nightlife, the scene, the money. By all accounts, he basked in the glory of running a club for the elite. According to a Russian journalist familiar with the culture of the Soho Rooms, Rappaport knew everyone that mattered and everyone that mattered knew him. He was a legend in Russia's party scene. The Soho Rooms expanded, with franchises across Russia and one in Dubai. Naturally, the club turned over big profits. Rappaport lived a lavish lifestyle, and apparently he owned several million-dollar apartments around Moscow. Clearly, life was good. Or at least it was until Rappaport had to flee Russia due to his anti-Putin activity. However, how serious him fleeing was at the time is up for debate, as Rappaport allegedly returned to Russia several times after being apparently forced to leave. He continued to build what was considered a cult following amongst the party scene until the Soho Rooms was closed down in 2018. At this time, the Russian ruble was at one of its highest values. Rappaport was making a killing. Four years later, though, 
you'd wind up dead on a DC pavement. Nightclubs is not how Dan Rappaport first got rich though. He got his start in economics, as me and Sergi discussed. He grew up in the US and uh, he got his degree from Houston, Texas. From there, he went into an investing firm, uh, Fibro. They focus on like raw materials, so any kind of oil, um, just uh, mining, things like that. I think he graduated somewhere in the early 90s. And he started working at Fibro, um, and they were working on a project uh, in Russia, one of the first like oil extraction projects. The company basically got three stakes in three different oil fields, and they were trying to develop those. They were one of the first companies to go in, and they were one of the first companies to actually set up shop. Like they were, I think by 1991, 1992, they were already pumping oil and selling it. And so a familiar pattern emerges. This is yet another wealthy businessman with heavy ties to the Russian oil and gas industry who's died in mysterious circumstances. This guy even fell out of a window. When Rappaport first entered this industry in the 90s, big money was made immediately and the Russian government quickly stepped in to increase their cut. I think it was around 20k uh, USD a day. It did slow down. That project kind of uh, fizzled out. it was kind of killed off by the Russian government because they were they were really getting a hang of the whole capitalism thing. And they were putting a bunch of taxes on, from what it seems like, everything, you know, on the transport of oil, on uh, companies operating in it, then forcing them to pay in the extremely devalued ruble, which kind of just, uh, I guess, kind of killed that. Obviously, other companies took over and, you know, now oil is massive, but at that time, like, that project called White Knights it didn't exactly work out. The White Knights project was the first joint Russian-American operation designed to open up more oil fields across Siberia. White Knights was actually conceived before the collapse of the Soviet Union when the USSR was opening up to foreign investment in the late 80s. As Sergi said, White Knights began turning over $20,000 a day within just a few months of its launch. By 1992, though, the project collapsed. Rappaport stayed in Russia after White Knights ended. He had experience in both the USSR and the US, having grown up in Soviet Latvia, but also getting educated in America. A very useful set of credentials in the banditry period of post-Soviet Russia. Uh, From then on, he stayed in Russia. And, uh, you know, being uh, from a Russian family, they uh, escaped from Latvia, uh, like USSR Latvia, uh, to the U.S. He's like a U.S. citizen. He can uh, be the middleman, you know. He speaks Russian, of course. And he became this middleman for investors in, in the new Russia that's kind of, you know, how they say selling out. They're kind of uh, everything that was once government-owned is now going to private owners. And he was this middleman looking for American, European investors, helping them make these deals of purchasing these massive facilities, anything that, that can be sold basically that was being sold, any industry that the USSR had, he was kind of making those deals. After this, Rappaport went on to work at an investment firm, Center Invest, essentially doing the same things he'd been doing before, working as a fixer or a middleman for Western companies looking to capitalize on the collapse of the Soviet Union. Bleed it dry, ignore the people, profit.
Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By the 2000s, Rappaport was the manager at Center Invest, with offices in both Moscow and New York. Over this decade, he went from wealthy to very wealthy. This is when Rappaport made the bulk of his money, enabling him to invest in more exciting ventures like the Soho Rooms in Moscow. Rappaport opened that in 2007, but then the following year, he hit a roadblock. The US government put sanctions on him. It seems like the charges were securities fraud. And even though he, you know, he was sanctioned, he was kind of uh, <laughs> in trouble with the U.S. government. Uh, five years later, all the charges were dropped and he returned to the U.S. So Dan Rappaport was accused and charged with securities fraud. But what is that? Well, basically, it's high tier white collar lying. It's also referred to as stock fraud or investment fraud. And it's a serious crime. Basically, it involves misrepresenting a deal by either omitting certain details or just outright lying to urge investors to make decisions. Stockbrokers, brokerage corporations and investment banks are often involved in securities fraud in some way. Most of them get away with it. That Rappaport's charges were dropped after five years doesn't mean much in my opinion. Either way, he made his money capitalizing on the downfall of post-Soviet Russia, skipping back and forth between New York and Moscow as your average Russian near starved. Pretty much standard oligarch behavior. It seems like he has businesses all over Russia and uh, like spread throughout the world, but there's nothing like one big business that's kind of like pointed out. He just had multiple incomes from different things. Whilst we've seen Rappaport sometimes painted as a separate entity to the other oligarchs we've looked into, probably because of his open anti-Putinism, he very much came up in the same scene of the post-Soviet free-for-all as they did. That would be the majority of his money from that 10-year period of consulting and kind of directing investors into Russia and then the stock management. He was pretty much a fixer. He's, I guess, like, you know, he spoke Russian. He, he got kind of an in with the White Knights project. Um, I'm assuming he built connections, uh, kind of figured out how things work. And then he went from there and started, uh, yeah, like being a fixer, kind of finding like somebody wants to sell something. He's like, okay, cool. Like, I'll go find, you know, a rich American, a rich European to come and buy it out. Whilst the story is spun that Rappaport had to flee Russia due to anti-Putin activity, he first left because he owed the Russian government tax and they charged him for not paying it. It wasn't even that much money, not for him anyway, it was around 40,000 US dollars, but for whatever reasons, he was charged, he left the country. It's pretty well documented that, first of all, in the 90s, it was very like uh, shady dealings. Anything that was being sold off, you know, we've covered this previously how everything was being privatized and people kind of use different, maybe legal, but kind of underhanded ways of uh, getting wealthy. I mean, some things are anecdotal, some things are recorded where, you know, a lot of crime organizations were in charge. And my guess would be as if he was doing any kind of like consulting that we talked about this uh, 
uh, finding businesses to sell to rich uh, investors, I would assume he had to deal with the government and with people who were in this organized crime kind of figuring out who to talk to, who's selling and where to find, you know, so I'm guessing he was involved in this. Um, I just think you can't avoid it at that time period. It's just so involved, you know, the government is kind of, uh, special. I mean, maybe not at the time it wasn't as involved with everything, but it all kind of led to the government taking over and they, they were, they were still in charge. So like he absolutely had to be involved with the states to first of all work on oil and then from then to, you know, sell off essentially state um, industry. Like he'd have to be involved at least to some degree. It's clear that at one point, Rappaport was cozied up to the Russian government enough to at least do business with them back and forth between the US, which would make both parties a lot of money. At some point, he hit a snag though as we mentioned with the tax problems. Before this, Rappaport had several companies in Russia, though. His fingers were in many different pies. He was a human piroshki. He owned a Russian company selling and trading raw materials, such as precious metals. He owned a Russian real estate company. He owned a Russian catering business. He was into all sorts, until the Russian government shut him down, citing various legal violations. They then took control of all his companies and liquidated them. The money was theirs. I tend to suspect that this is what made Rappaport anti-Putin as opposed to any specific humanitarian issues. But that's just a personal hunch. Sergio and me tried to find more specific information on Rappaport's anti-Putin activity, but there wasn't actually that much, not from the time when it apparently happened. I tried to look back at like more um, like articles at the time, you know, kind of what was going on at that time instead of him saying recently, like in the last year that he was a huge anti-Putin critic. Um, I couldn't find too much. I mean, I guess the biggest thing is that he was working with Navalny, uh, not Navalny, but like the opposition and then eventually Navalny. Um, and that kind of that's pointed as the biggest like he was anti-Putin. Um he was working with like the opposition, um, but I can't exactly find that he was such a huge, like outspoken person against uh, Russia or Putin. Again, until um, until he went back to the U.S., then he was more uh, kind of active, I guess, in that. Um, but at the time that he left, you know, the government was saying that it's because of the taxes. He he claimed it was because he was being threatened for uh, supporting the opposition. I mean, you can see both sides, like maybe he doesn't want to admit to, you know, wrongdoing in terms of taxes and the government doesn't want people to think that it's because they're, you know, threatening someone. With that said, it is actually a tried and tested method of Putin to create wrongdoing around political opponents in a bid to crush any opposition. I think it's likely this happened to Rappaport. Sure, he did owe the Kremlin tax. But to a multimillionaire, the equivalent of $40,000 is hardly something he couldn't resolve. Maybe it's a case of two birds, one stone. Rappaport is rich and influential, with strong ties to the US, and he's helping the Russian opposition parties. So let's get rid of him and just say it was because of this loose end of old taxes. Let's not look too crazy. Not yet, anyway. Dad, the dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. 
And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Now, I'm not saying Rappaport didn't genuinely want a new Russia, one without the iron fist of Putin and his squad, but he did also make a lot of money under it until the heat got too close. He was more than happy to work in Russia. Putin was already in power for at least a decade at that point. Um, he was more than happy to be there throughout everything. You know, when they were kind of, uh, when all these oligarchs were making their money in the 90s, it, it wasn't through the most, I don't know, not in the most honorable ways, not in the most, uh, not the cleanest way, you know. So, like, he knew what he was doing, I think. Um, he was more than happy to profit while, you know, while he was uh, making money, while he wasn't kind of threatened in any way. I think it's like, I, I think maybe he definitely supported the opposition, you know. Um, but I highly doubt he would have risked his wealth and his happy life for, like, to criticize Putin kind of thing. I think maybe he truly, you know, he did support, like, the opposition and stuff. But at the minute the U.S. raised their sanctions from 2008, he was gone. He was back in the U.S. Back in the U.S., Rappaport continued his pursuit of political influence. In 2012, just as his U.S. sanctions evaporated... Dan Rappaport began working with Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, who was running against Obama. Rappaport was an advisor, specifically working on parts of the campaign that focused on putting more US political pressure on Putin and Russia. Romney lost, Obama won, and then, fast forward to 2016, Donald Trump arrived. You'd be in jail. Whilst there are various nonsense conspiracy theories about Trump being a literal Russian agent, it's no secret that he often spoke fondly of Putin. Trump complimented Putin dozens of times before and after he was elected president in 2016. He was particularly excited that Putin had said he was great and smart, going on about it several times. It got weird. It was like a child impressed that the teacher complimented his drawing. I think when he calls me brilliant, I'll take the compliment, okay? Then it got really dark. After Putin launched the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022, which has so far led to the deaths of 10,000 civilians, including over 500 children, Trump said Putin was a genius for doing this. I said, this is genius. Putin declares a big portion of Ukraine. Putin declares it as independent. Oh, that's wonderful. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, how smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. That's the strongest peace force. We could use that on our southern border. That's the strongest peace force I've ever seen. There were more army tanks than I've ever seen. They're going to keep peace all right. But what does this all have to do with Dan Rappaport, the now-dead American-Russian citizen businessman who made his fortune jumping back and forth between New York and Moscow? Well, as you can probably guess, Rappaport was not a fan of Trump. With all the Putin PDA, Rappaport came out in criticism of Trump and his presidency. He didn't like that Trump was friendly with Putin, and he made that very clear, publicly. Around this time in 2017, Rappaport was living very nicely. With his then wife, he owned a six-bedroom mansion in Washington, D.C. And guess who his neighbors happened to be? The Obamas. Yeah, Rappaport lived next door to the Obama family, or at least as close as you can get to next door in such an area. 
The Obama house was 8,200 square foot. You're hardly sharing a wall. Like Russian politicians, American politicians make themselves filthy rich throughout their careers. Take US Representative Nancy Pelosi, for example. Let us remember what President Reagan said. Don't bother me with a question like that. She's worth an estimated $114 million. What is this? What is this? Strangely enough, her husband, Paul Pelosi, has made several lucrative stock trades that coincide with US government legislation in the technology sector. Coincidentally, a sector Rappaport had a business in. Nancy says all the lucky stocks of her husband is all just a coincidence. It's nothing to do with her. It's definitely not insider trading. Really? Really, okay? Politicians are politicians. They use their positions to do business to benefit themselves. Dan Rappaport knew this better than anyone. He'd been moving and shaking within the Venn diagram of international politics and corporate profit for decades. Let's be honest, this is how we ended up with a six-bedroom mansion in D.C. The mansion in question was sold later in 2017 when Rappaport and his wife got a divorce. It sold for $5.5 million. And who was it sold to? The Trump family. Dan Rappaport, an outspoken critic of Trump and his friendliness towards Putin, sold his house to Donald Trump's daughter and her husband, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Whilst this is notable, I don't think it's that unusual. People working in politics, in my experience as a journalist, often focused on international affairs at least, generally will fall down in the wind. That is, once money and power are involved, all bets are off. In politics, profit almost always comes above integrity. Now, to be fair to Dan Rappaport, he told a journalist at the time that the sale of the house was actually nothing to do with him. He said the money was split between him and his ex-wife, and she was the one selling it. Personally, though, I find that hard to believe. They also owned a $1.5 million apartment, a second $3.5 million home, and Rappaport's parents live in a $1 million Florida beach house. That Rappaport would just pay no attention to the sale of his most expensive property seems highly unlikely. Anyway, after the divorce, Dan Rappaport moved to Ukraine. He lived in a fancy property in Kiev. Now remember, this was five years before the full-scale invasion. I myself was in Kiev around this time, as was Sergi. The war was only in the east of the country then, which was very far away from Kiev. Everything was completely normal in the capital. It's not unusual that someone might move to Kiev, not then, especially if they have a lot of money. You could live comfortably there on a normal Western wage, and if you were rich, you could live like a king. Rappaport, though, as we know, could live like a king anywhere. He was worth a fortune. So why Ukraine? Well, it seems this was all part of another business venture. He set up a residential investment firm, putting money into new apartments in Kiev. He also got remarried and had a baby daughter. When Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, Rappaport's new equally comfortable life was upended. He took his family and flew back to the US, living once again in Washington, D.C., where he'd later die after falling from the apartment window. Before his death, Rappaport was openly supportive of Ukraine's resistance to the invasion and even donated himself to various Ukraine war efforts, as well as encouraging others to do so on his social media. 
So what do we think actually happened here? This is a tricky one. There are many potential leads that all end up merging together. So was Rappaport pushed out of a window by a political or business rival? Did he jump? Or did he just accidentally fall? Personally, me at the start, I was beginning to think this might be the case where really a cigar is just a cigar. Okay, Rappaport was involved in all this politics and business, but maybe he did just fall. He didn't seem a hard enough target to warrant killing. However, there's a lot more to this case than it first appears, even now after all of this. As we know, Dan Rappaport died from falling out of a window. There are, however, several unusual details I'm yet to mention, as I didn't want to bias the listener from the start. Dan Rappaport owned the Soho Rooms Club with a business partner named Sergei Tukachenko, also known in Russia as Sergei Jeff. Sergei Jeff died in January 2017. He died in Moscow after falling out of the window of his luxury apartment. The same way his business partner, Dan Rappaport, would die just five years later. An incredible coincidence. There are even more bizarre parts of this case we're yet to look into. Rappaport's dog was allegedly found wandering around in a park near his apartment after he'd fallen out of the window and died. Strapped to the dog's collar was a supposed suicide note and for some reason, cash. If that wasn't weird enough, there's even more. Rappaport is alleged to be the man behind a pretty popular but fake senior Pentagon Russian analyst known online as David Duberg. Duberg was regularly quoted by the opposition in Russian and Ukrainian media, and he was cited as a professional analyst. But he didn't exist, and Rappaport is not an analyst. It's believed Rappaport was behind a team that were actually the true identities of the people writing under the pseudonym David Duberg. The plot thickens. We'll be looking into all of this in depth in the next episode of Sad Oligarch. Sad Oligarch is a H11 production for Cool Zone Media and iHeartRadio. Hosted, produced, researched and edited by me, Jake Hanrahan and Sergi Slipchenko. Co-produced by Sophie Lichterman. Music by Sam Black. Artwork by Adam Doyle. Sound mix by Splicing Block. Go to jakehanrahan.com for more information. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.